This message comes from NPR sponsor Comcast Business. Is it possible to get business internet you can really rely on? It is with 99.9% network reliability from Comcast Business. Powering possibilities. You're listening to Shortwave from NPR. All right, Allison, when did you hear about the eruption? So I actually heard about it, uh, it would have been evening time here, Mm -hmm. so only within a few hours of the eruption, because uh, myself and my students were paying attention to Twitter, Mm -hmm. and they announced the eruption before it was clear that there were people there. Um, So it was like 2 p.m. local time in New Zealand, Mm -hmm. um, and we were aware of it, and then as we proceeded to try and find out more about the eruption is when so much more information came out. Alison Grettinger is a volcanologist who specializes in volcanic eruptions that interact with water. That's the type of eruption that occurred in New Zealand last week when the volcano Fakari, or White Island, erupted unexpectedly while people were touring the island. As of this recording, 16 people have died, and the police continue to search the island. Well, it, it was... Um that it erupted was sort of surprising because I, I, I assigned my students volcanoes to babysit with the purpose of them understanding that some volcanoes erupt all the time, some erupt sort of by surprise. Mm-hmm. So we were just thinking about timing and how, you know, you, you, you don't anticipate these things, even if you know a volcano is active. Um, and then, of course, when we found out people were there, my, my stomach dropped. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I thought about a lot of my colleagues who, who work in New Zealand and probably how much more intense that feeling was for them and all the uncertainty. So that's, it was, there were a lot of emotions. I've been there myself. Mm-hmm. So a lot of emotions, yeah. Today on the show, the science behind the Fakari eruption. We'll talk about how scientists try to determine when volcanoes might erupt and whether or not anyone should take the risk of visiting an active volcano. This message comes from NPR's sponsor, Teladoc Health. There are lots of reasons for wanting to be healthy. Family, work, living a fuller life. Teladoc Health understands. Whether you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or just need to manage your weight, Teladoc Health can help. Visit teladochealth.com slash what's your why for more information. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C health slash what's your why. This message comes from EarthX. The EarthX 2024 Environmental and Sustainability Congress of Conferences is happening in April and brings together all sides with one important mission, protect the planet. Go to earthx.org to register. Support for NPR and the following message come from Indeed. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Get a $75 sponsored job credit at Indeed.com slash shortwave. Terms and conditions apply. So you've been there. Tell me a little bit of what it you know, kind of looks like. Describe it to me if you can. Yeah, so um, I, I had taken one of the boat tours, and, and you arrive and you start walking up. It's not a steep terrain, but it is very wild. There's loose rocks, and there's, there's sort of a... Um, tromp down bit that changes depending on uh, where it's safe to walk. And there's there's lots of um, little holes and things around the, the, the trail and 
lots of steam vents mm-hmm. and fumaroles. So fumaroles are where you get active uh, volcanic gases are coming out from depth, uh, and they can cover things in sulfur. So there's lots of bright colors and textures and crystals, and it's it is fascinating and very not you're not at home yeah. when you're there. Right. You can tell you've walked into this sort of epic landscape. Gotcha. So let's talk about the the specific eruption here. I think when most people think of volcanoes, they think, you know, like lava spewing out and, and that kind of stuff. Can you talk to me a little bit about this this particular eruption? Yeah. So White Island has what's called a hydrothermal system. So there's hot water moving through it. And so I mentioned all this sulfur and the degassing. So there's uh, there's a heat source somewhere in there, right? So there's there's magma at depth, uh, and it's it's hot and it's heating the water above it, and the gases are escaping. So when you make water hot, it can be liquid, but it could also turn into a gas, and you can have some bubbles and some water, or you can have larger amounts of gas relative to that. And gas takes up more space than water. So if you have changes in that system, you can build up pressure, and that pressure can be released in an explosion because that's really all an explosion is: is a release of pressure. So a lot of eruptions that happen at White Island are related just to this more surficial part, and it doesn't even involve the magma at depth. The magma is providing the heat, um, but it's being brought up by by water cycling through the system. Yeah, I mean, I've heard it kind of described as a volcanic pressure cooker. Do you feel like that's a fair representation of the volcano there? Right. Yeah, any anything that you trap pressure in at some point could fail. Um, and that failure is just the release of energy. And in this case, it involves hot water and sulfur and rocks flying through the air in a tragic way. Yeah. So GeoNet, an, an organization that tracks volcanic activity in New Zealand, called this eruption kind of small from a global perspective. They said it was also pretty short, just, you know, one or two minutes long. So obviously small and short eruptions can still cause a lot of damage, right? Exactly. So if a volcano is going to do something very large, there tends to be you have to move more rock to get the magma close to the surface. And that gives us a lot of information in the forms of ground shaking or deformation. But if you're only releasing a small amount of energy, uh, you have less information. But... Mm -hmm that's still dangerous because those speeds can still occur. And if you're in proximity to the source, I mean, it doesn't matter how many people are there for it to be too many people when one of these happen. Right, right. So let's talk about the issue of detection, because this island is is monitored pretty closely for volcanic activity. Are there any real warning signs for this kind of eruption? Well, there's there's always information happening at the volcano. We talk about this hydrothermal system. So we can look for rock shaking. We can look for changes in water chemistry, changes in gas chemistry. And one of the tricky parts of a volcano that's active like White Island is those systems, when they have normal behavior, is already complicated. There's just so much information in it. So when there's a change, that's what we're looking for, and frequently you'll say, okay, the system has changed. This is different than what it's been like for the past few months. Let's raise the alert level. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't necessarily give you any information that tells you, well, is it going to do this for just a few days? Is it going to do this for a long time? Or is this a sign of something more? But the time element is not there for us, for the vast majority of these small eruptions. And that makes it difficult to to anticipate when things might occur. Yeah, I mean, the New Zealand government definitely has an alert system, and it was actually raised, you know, to level two on a scale from zero to five a couple of weeks before. But, you know, I've been reading about that alert system, and they say an eruption can occur at any alert level. So I'm kind of confused about 
like how helpful that can really be as far as warning people about eruptions. Sure. So volcanoes can have patterns. And frequently we see patterns when we look at their behavior in past tense. So when you look back, hindsight's twenty twenty, and sure. all of life, including volcanoes. But that doesn't mean the pattern will be identical every time. Mm-hmm. So we look for changes and adjust the alert level to say, well, there's some activity. There's something a bit different or a bit more energetic than we saw before. And volcanoes don't always go one, two, three, four, five. They don't care about chronology. Right. They could go one to any level they want or back down or one to two to one to two to one to two with no eruption for a long period of time. Yeah. We would like them to be more uh, communicative in a nice chronological way. Yeah. But that hasn't been our experience at any volcano on the sure. planet that it's, you know, always doing what we want it to. Right. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, you've been doing this a long time, right? And and one thing that you've you've told me is these are really difficult to predict. And, and this is part of the reason why so many people are doing active research. Um, you know, we've had years and years of looking into how these things act, how we can best predict them. But it seems like we still don't have enough information to be really confident about predictions. Is that fair? Sure. So we could think about like the lifespan of a volcano and how long they've been active. So White Island, as far as we can tell, has been active for 150,000 years. And we expect to understand it by having monitored it with these fancy geophysical equipment for only a matter of a few decades. So it's asking a lot to to have all the information from just a few years of study because the lifespan is much more um, extensive than our usual scale. But right. we have to live in our time scale. Right? Right. We yeah. need to be able to function in that. So we use what information we have and we we take advantage of every bit of information we can get and hope that the next time we can do better. So, Allison, this active volcano has been a popular New Zealand tourist destination. You visited it as a tourist. Do you think that people should continue to visit active volcanoes? It's a really difficult question, and it's an interesting one that I've thought about different times in my life in different ways. And I will never make the decision for other people, uh, but it is one that should always be Mm re-asked. So is is our understanding to to such a level that we can say definitely that that is uh, is never acceptable? Uh, As an educator, since I work in the university system and that's what enables me to do my science, I always want opportunities for people to experience this really cool planet we live on. And how do we do that and keep them safe? I don't think there's a concrete answer. Um, And safety always needs to be the forefront of any decision making. Um, So, yeah, that was a (laughs) non-answer. It was actually a wonderful answer because I'm asking you an impossible question, which is real, like kind of a butthead move. But I think... I think it's a it's an understandable non-answer, right? Because scientists want people to be interested and engaged and continue to learn about these natural phenomena. But they also really want them to be safe, too, right? So there's a balance there. Yeah. Ideally, we would keep everyone safe all the time, but then we would never get into a car. Yeah. Yeah. Allison Grettinger is an assistant professor in the Department of Geosciences at the University of Missouri, Kansas City. Today's episode was produced by Rebecca Ramirez and edited by Viet Le. Emily Vaughn fact-checked this episode. You've been listening to Shortwave from NPR. 
I'm Maddie Safaya, and we'll see you tomorrow. This message comes from NPR sponsor Capital One. Capital One offers checking accounts with no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees. That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank. Capital One N.A. Member FDIC. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from Easy Cater. Committed to helping companies from nonprofits to the Fortune 500 solve food for work. From ordering online for meetings and team lunches to managing food spend for your whole organization, Easy Cater can help you simplify your corporate catering needs. Over 100,000 restaurants nationwide, plus budgeting tools and payment by invoice. Learn more at easycater.com. At this year's Oscars, Oppenheimer took home the award for Best Picture, Emma Stone and Robert Downey Jr. also picked up wins, and Ryan Gosling brought the Kennergy. For a recap of all the highlights, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR.